The stories in Genesis are filled with human experience. As we learned in our Torah study, the matriarchs and patriarchs are never deified. They're never turned into saints. They're just regular people with often very extraordinary spiritual lessons for us. That's why they're admired. That's why they're studied. Unlike other religious traditions, Judaism never placed a halo around any of their pictures or representations. Halos imply perfections, and our forebearers were not perfect, just impressively sensitive to the presence of the eternal, despite those imperfections. Take, for example, the first couple in the Torah, Adam and Eve. We see in them the challenges of terribly toxic family dynamics, as evidenced in the story where Cain kills Abel. And we see ourselves in the toiling to make a living, to raise a family, but perhaps even more, we see what it means to be our own agents of change, or to use a colloquialism, the captains of our own ships, as we navigate life outside of Eden. And then we have Abraham who demanded God's justice for the innocent of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in that, we find an inspiration of speaking truth to power, something that has guided our prophetic tradition for millennia. And I am convinced that the penchant for arguments, even with God, can be found in those few verses. In Sarah and Rebecca, Rachel, we relate to those who struggle to conceive, to have a lasting marriage, and to understand our own propensity for jealousy, anger, and favoritism. And finally, in this week's Torah portion, Vayishlach, Jacob wrestles with something, a night messenger, an angel. And through him, we see ourselves struggling with great challenges, challenges that bring pain, but from which we often may find or extract blessing. The whole book of Genesis is filled with family dynamics. It is really a family scrapbook. It is true to say that the book of Genesis is not only the story of the world's creation, but also the beginning of the evolution of a normal, if dysfunctional, family. It's often said that all families are dysfunctional, but that some are more dysfunctional than others. Nowhere is that more evident than in this week's Torah portion. For in this week's parasha, we encounter Jacob and Esau, brothers who share a most painful past and separation. Jacob fled from Esau after deceiving him out of his birthright and blessing, and now a couple of decades have passed, and they're about to meet again. Who has changed? Does the anger and jealousy still linger? Reading the story is like reading a biblical version of the script for August, Osage County. We don't know what pain lingers and what wounds, if any, will be revisited. But the stage is set for some kind of confrontation. Esau has his 400 men with him, surely as a show of force. And Jacob has his family, perhaps as a way to show Esau that he now cares more about himself. Or he cares more than himself.
We don't know exactly what's going on in Jacob's mind. Surely he is partially fearful, but it was not fear when he separated from his family and was left alone on the night before meeting up with Esau. His dream of wrestling the angel like his dream last week of his ladder to heaven with the angels ascending and descending reflects something else of his inner life. He intuits the dream as God speaking to him. He understands that he has a greater mission in life than simply himself. And how he reacts sets the stage for the meeting in the morning. And in doing so, really sets the course for the Jewish future. But the text is silent about Esau. What's he feeling? Was there still anger and anxiety and jealousy? Or was there a sense of letting bygones be bygones? We don't know. But if we put ourselves in both of their sandals, we can use our active imaginations to understand that there have been times in our lives when each of us have been Jacob, and at other times we have been Esau. We have been both the victim and the one taking advantage of another. As a colleague once said, we have stood as Jacob does on the river's edge between our present circumstance and confronting the reality of our past. Jacob is absolutely at a crossroads. His choice in the next few moments will determine the course of his life. He stands with trepidation on the shore of the Jabbok River. His brother fast approaches from the other side. He has an army of 400 men. And if he runs and hides, he actively denies the opportunity for reconciliation. But if he meets Esau, he has to come face to face with what he's done. And he can never again revert back to being the selfish teenage kid who took advantage of Esau every chance he had. And so, with uncertainty in his heart, he has his famous wrestling angel dream. He is wounded, but at the same time, he's blessed. His name is changed to Israel, one who wrestles with angels and wins. But what does he win? Only this. He wins the courage to cross the river and to prove Esau and himself that he is a changed man. This part of the Jacob story is a story about the true worth of repentance. It's a story about healing relationships and coming to terms with the pain caused to another, but also the promise of healing that can be. We see it clearly. Jacob is now a changed man. He is not the young boy who bargained for his brother's birthright over a bowl of red beans. He's not the adolescent who stole his brother's blessing with trickery. He's now something else. He's Yisrael. He's a man who knows his own flaws and limitations. A man who bears the scars and burdens of his past and allows them to inform his present. Jacob is, for the first time ever, humble and pragmatic. He literally limps towards his brother. His hip is still sore from the struggle of the night before. But with repentance and humility, he asks his brother's forgiveness, and they hug. The story didn't have to end that way. Jacob had a test. 
He could have blamed his brother for his pain, but he didn't. He could have met him with violence, but he didn't. Just as Esau the hunter became Esau the vulnerable, Jacob the deceiver became Jacob the healer, and the two would know peace between them and peace in their hearts. Torah is full of things to learn from our ancestors. That's why we turn it over and over again, as Ben Bagbag says. There are so many things to learn from this portion, but to me, this moment of meeting between Esau and Jacob imparts a lesson that can touch us today. It is that we, like Jacob, ought to have the courage to change. As anyone struggling to change their life course will tell you, in order to change, we have to know who and what we are changing from. We have to know ourselves to be able to confront what may be ugly and painful, shameful within us. But just simply knowing ourself is not change. Jacob had to be self-aware and could be self-aware, but still did not have to cross the river. It's the crossing the river that makes the difference. Each day, Every one of us strives to be Israel. We struggle with our faults. We risk experiencing more pain in the process. We become aware of our sins. Because life is not lived on this side of the river. Life is not lived on hiding from the wreckage of what we have left behind. Life is on the other side. And the proof of this change comes immediately after Esau kisses Jacob. A colleague noticed that right after Jacob and Esau embrace and kiss, on the other side of the Jabbok, Jacob builds a house. This is astonishing. For having a house creates a sense of permanence. Jacob is done running. He has nothing else to escape from. He has found himself. He knows who he is. And more importantly, he knows who he was. He has found himself a home. And in the vein of Yaakov, of the one who grabs, he seized his new self. He has found peace that eluded him for these decades. So before he crossed over, there was fear. There was uncertainty. His vision was obscured. It broke his hope. But now after struggling with who he was, With being aware of God's presence in seeking and offering forgiveness, he sets down roots and he builds for a future that he could not have imagined on the other side of the Jabbok. There is in all of us a Jacob and an Esau, but there is also a Yisrael if we are willing to wrestle with the angel of what we have been and what we can be. But our text tells us that we, like Jacob, can be victorious. We may not come out unscathed, and we may even limp a bit, but we will have become whole in a whole new way. And it is on and in that wholeness that we will be on our path to holiness. 
Thank you.